Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Use Case Podcast. Today, we have Jeremy on from TrainUp. And we'll be learning about the business case, the use case, those customers and prospects have, have used uh, to purchase TrainUp. So let's just jump right into it. Jeremy, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and introduce TrainUp? Absolutely. Sure. William, thanks for having me on. It's such a blast to, to join podcasts and, and reach practitioners. I'm Jeremy Tillman, founder and CEO at TrainUp.com. StartedTrain.com in 2004. So it's been uh, a lot of years. And I'm going to give you a quick snapshot of kind of where we were, just where we've been historically, and kind of really where we're headed post the pandemic. Um, that's been a, a really interesting time for our business. Historically speaking, Train.com is the web's largest training marketplace. So we connect training seekers to training opportunities. And when you think about Expedia, you have to think about us like an Expedia for training. And so historically, we've had more than 60,000 companies purchase training from trainup.com for one or more people. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Everyone kind of knows us for the place to go to find learning. And the training costs the same or less. That's our guarantee at trainup.com. So it's really no risk to use that core business uh, service for individuals or uh, training managers, individual learners at organizations. But behind the scenes, we've created some of the some most some amazing HR tech and learning tech solutions in our out of our technology division that I can tell you about some of those, but it's been a lot of that really cool stuff behind the scenes. And we've brought that to the forefront and we really feel like we're finally reaching that vision of ours to shape the future of learning uh, and really empower growth. And that's really the heartbeat behind what it is that we do. Uh, our, our goal is learning and really Take having our customers' best interest um, at heart whenever we're helping them craft and shape learning solutions. I love that. What do <clears throat> what's the consumption right now uh, look like in terms of learning? What do what do people you know? What do you what do you see? Because you're looking across you know obviously across industries. You're looking across uh, different job titles and things like that. But you can also see consumption. So yeah. what what are people consuming? What do, what do they seem to like? There's a there's an appetite for. Absolutely. And we can speak to, you know, really that I'd say this, I preface this, we focus on career training Mm -hmm. um, over a hundred different categories and mostly 90, I'd say 95% of our registrations are paid for by a corporation on behalf of one of their employees. And historically it's, it's the traditional things. It's leadership, it's management, it's business skills, it's uh, soft skills, it's Microsoft office, it's technology certifications. Those type things have, always historically been um, some of the top the top sellers. But obviously the pandemic just really shook the industry from a, you know, a live instructor-led delivery standpoint pretty heavily. It shook us pretty heavily as well um, throughout that. So it, it changed a little bit of what people were focused on because it, it really got down to the bare essentials. 
And of course, being who we are at Triumph.com, we've seen all of the spikes throughout the years. We've seen the craze that was Microsoft Office and then the certification revolution and then, you know, kind of e-learning popping in there. And then we saw just an absolute explosion in sexual harassment type training um, in light of the Me Too movement. And right. a couple of years back, I mean, DEI absolutely exploded as well. Um, so we've seen lots of different trends over the years. So that's it. Let's let's unpack a couple of those with 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 uh, DEI training. Let's let's go there first, because it's 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 still I still think it's lip service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm gonna go a little dark, right? <laughs> be a little be a little jaded. Uh, I still think a little bit of his lip service. Training sounds great. At least we are spending money on training. That that is great. Um, what what else? Like what other if if is that you see on the training side of things, if, if we think about DEI, is there different levels? Like, are we, are we now, are you starting to start to unpack, you know, pronouns, let's say, okay, so now we're going to not just talk about diversity and inclusion in general, we're now going to go deep into, you know, what, what trans and, and what's the transition look like at work? You know, like, yeah. do you see some of the more nuanced, do you see us getting deeper into what's some that? of the, more nuanced things of part of it as like an umbrella of DEI? Well, this is a great topic, and I'm going to try not to spend all the time on this. No, 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 no. It's so near and dear to my heart, so I have to dive <laughs> into this. You know, as an African-American business owner, you know, this is interestingly uh, unique um, for our industry. And let's be honest, when things first started, it was not even just lip service. It was very much... We have to say the right thing, right? And not necessarily do the right thing. Hundred percent. So, when organizations will come to us for training, again, trainup.com was we were, when we were growing and things were just moving. Sometimes we didn't take the time to sit back and pause and even analyze our own data because we we collect feedback from all the courses and all the vendors. We don't necessarily publish that out there, but we use that to help inspire our training providers. And when we're putting together on-site solutions, when we're coming to a, a company's office or we're putting together a custom solution for them, we're taking a lot of research into account. And we were leveraging great DEI practitioners. But what we realized, and we realized this around all learning, not just DEI, was that we're still creating learning silos. We Content alone is not enough to produce change. right? But yet companies are giving a lot of content to employees. So DEI is one of those things where it's much deeper than that because you're dealing on a, with emotions, um, you're dealing with history, you're dealing with um, preferences, and you're dealing with politics and a lot of things that typically don't mix in a business sense. And so we've been fortunate enough in the last couple of years to not only partner with some of the best DEI practitioners in the world, but to develop our trainup.com training flow platform, which is geared around continuous learning. We kind of like to say no one became a great leader because they went to a one day leadership course. <laughs> How do we become great leaders? You know, it's over time. It's through observation, all those things. But our learning wasn't aligned that way. So we developed our training flow platform and process to help align that. And we applied that to DEI in some really unique ways. One of the things we wanted to do is that if you're going to shape culture and really have an impact, you need to create safe spaces for people to have a dialogue around the things they're learning and then celebrate when things are put into practice. And so our platform helps uh, organizations not just do a one-off training because a one-off training isn't going to be enough to make a company inclusive. 
It, right. And by the way, that's our focus when we come to, comes to DEI. We believe that inclusion is greater than diversity. If right. you change your mix of recruiting and you bring in diverse candidates or people from different backgrounds and, and other things, and you bring them into an environment that's not inclusive, likely they're going to leave. Right. They're going to be 100%. And you're going to cause tension. So we encourage companies to focus on inclusion because inclusion is for everyone. You know, what's interesting is, and, and first of all, I 100% agree with you, um, but, but there's another, <clears throat> another, another wrinkle to this that I think is, is fascinating, is training it in and of itself as a business, as they think about buying training for, from, you know, from, from a company like, like yourselves, like TrainUp. Um, this is a way of actually thinking about inclusion. So, you know, some, some folks might not have ever had access to this type of training. So if you want to have, be an inclusive workforce and a workplace, actually giving people access to training uh, that, that they might not have ever had is a, is a, a spoke. It's not, all, it's not all of inclusion, but it's, it's a way of thinking of inclusion. 100%. So we, so we mean, can teach inclusion, but we also just by just by offering up training to people, we're being more inclusive than we were before. Absolutely. We had a, a client in Australia that ran a steel factory that had around 75% market share of all the steel in Australia. And they bought it out of administration. And the 9,000 workers there had never had any soft skills training at all. They, have, they don't even have computers. And the first thing they said is that if we're going to change things, not only do they need to change technology in the plant, we're going to offer training to every single worker, not just a, a handful of people who have offices at the plant, but everyone. How do we transform conversations and how do we um, you know, transform the culture? And training is a part of that. And so you're right. I mean, even making things available um, leadership. Sometimes we focus heavily on leadership development. In most, in most organizations, 10% of the people are being trained as leaders. Right. Yet 90% of the people who aren't are also have leadership responsibilities at some level. And so we've been helping companies with our, our new training flow platform to bring leadership training to more people at an affordable way, but also to capture stories because we're going to learn best from each other and allow that the leadership um, stories and insights that happen internally to make its way to more people across the organizations that aren't even, that probably will never even meet. Love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. So what are, what do you get is some of the objections like, you know, that used to be a hundred years ago, people would say, CFOs in particular would say, what if we train them and they leave? <laughs> and right. then right after that, people would say, well, what if we train them and, they, and or what if we don't train them and they stay? You know, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so I don't think we have that roadblock as much as we used to, uh, but but you know, you you sit in the seat, so you you see it firsthand. What are what are what are objection response stuff? What is what do you what do you still get as some of the objections to training? Yeah, no, this is a great this is a great question, and and really we're at a, a time where everyone's looking at training differently. Believe it or not, at trainup.com. Budget has never been an issue for the way that we go about doing business because we're seeking the training seeker, someone who's been told you need to get project management certified. When you make that directive, budget typically isn't an issue. Right. When it comes to training at an organizational level and the inclusion you're talking about, including more people, 
the factors are not only budget, but what is the return on investment? Everyone's trying uh, to figure out what return on investment we're going to get from this. And so Trains.com takes a little bit different approach. We look at it and say, what impact are you looking for and how does it align to your business? For instance, we developed an amazing performance management system for Viacom MTV Networks. It's a really large organization globally. And in about 20, 2016, 2017, I realized that our systems are producing the same lagging indicators that everyone else's systems are. If we're developing our training programs based on performance data that's six months or a year old, because no one was really doing continuous performance management either, so they didn't have real-time data, then you're de- by the time you get your plans developed, you're training people on what they needed last year. We really should be saying, where are we going to be as an organization six months, nine months, a year from now? What skills do we need? And who has those skills today? And who might we need to develop to have those skills in the future? And when you start aligning your training to the things that are going to directly impact the business, you can overcome more. Oh, that's nice. Looking at the skill gaps, uh, I know you're going to, I know you're going to unpack this for us, Jeremy, but how do, do managers get ahead of the skill gaps? Like who's, who's actually to look at mapping skill gaps to, to training and and finish your thought before you get back to that. No, that's great. No, you're taking me right where I wanted to go. Okay. One of the things that we did is, when we had that revelation, and I'll give you another scenario where we had that, that same revelation where if we keep going down the path we're going down now, we're, we're going to create more problems and we're not going to be innovative like we want to be. And so quick example, we had a major company call us and they said, hey, we have 27 high posts, high potentials mm-hmm. that are coming together from 20 different countries to our corporate office. And we want to do a day of design thinking training and a day of critical thinking and problem solving training. And these are important people and they're going to take it back to their divisions and they're going to use these skills. And at this time, we were doing things the very traditional way. We would bring in an amazing design thinking instructor, amazing critical thinking and problem solving instructor. And they would spend a full day on each of those topics. And then they're flying off somewhere else to teach someone else. How do we know that that actually worked? Are they really going to become great at those things in one day, those topics? Well, of course not. So that got us thinking, what would we have to do if we wanted to really reimagine learning? And the result of that was part of this process where we said, if we were to do it all over, here's how we would go about doing it. And this is really what we built because of this scenario. First thing we realized is, what do you think is going to happen when 27 people from 20 different countries get together in a room for the first time? (laughs) They're going to network and and get get to know each other. Right. They're going to they're going to spend hours just just that. It's, One of the yeah, that at least we did in the platform is we allow people to introduce themselves prior to the learning. So you get to upload a video, uh, one, two cool. minute video, introducing yourself and telling us one unique thing about you, not what you do with the company, but something about you. And what that does is it allows everyone to realize I'm not the only one with an accent. Right. There's so much of the emotional um, elements that come into a great learning success. And then also we introduce those topics early. The, when you hear something for the first time is when you retain the least amount of information. So introducing them to these bigger topics before and allowing them to prepare not only helps aids in the learning, but it gets people at a similar pace so you can go at a faster pace when you actually get together. And then afterwards, we look at the post community and we actually want to know stories of learning applied. How are they applying what they've learned 
successfully or unsuccessfully in the business. And then the continuous learning platform not only gives them additional learnings to, to reinforce those things, but they get to share in that experience together. They were already together in that unique experience. Now they can say, I'm trying this and it didn't work. What do you think? And get input and feedback to aid in that overall learning uh, experience. And so when you start thinking about ROI, when you can tie what you've learned to actual projects, then you can begin to see impact. And it's going to take more data, more frequency of data from more sources to really understand the impact. And so we encourage organizations to tie their performance data, their, all these competencies that we say we care about. How are you measuring those? When, when I ask you who's the most innovative person in your company, are you going to tell me because some manager or some small 360 highly rated someone in innovation? I want to know how they were innovative on a particular project and who's consistently innovative on projects. Those are going to be the, those people. And so it takes a lot um, for organizations to be able to really pull those together. But if we're focused on tying the learning and the training that we do to skills and projects, we're going to be able to more closely align that to the ROI that companies desire. I love it. Okay, three things. We could talk forever. <clears throat> However, uh, I know you've got to get on and do a bunch of other things after this. So Three things that I want to go through. Uh, one is your demo and your favorite part of your demo. Second is customer stories. You know, maybe your most recent customer story that you love, that just you've fallen in love with. And again, no names, no brands, none of that stuff. And then questions you love from prospects. So we can go in any order you like. No, it's great. So I, I think right now, one of the things that we're really proud of is the move that we're making with, with our training flow product, which is still publicly not really out there and it's really been word of mouth, but we, we just had a global pilot for a DEI rollout. And this organization has, you know, 100,000 plus employees. And so their pilot was 1,000 people, 250 in China, 250 in the UK, 250 in India, and 250 in the US. And they never, not only have they never approached training this way, they've never used tech. And the people that are what were in this pilot never engaged with others. You know, like when you're working in the office in, in India, it's rare that you're going to be interacting with someone in China unless there's some big cross project that you're doing. And so when we do things around DEI, this is the approach that we took. And so this organization, we asked the same question inside the platform to all thousand of those people. We had over 680 detailed responses. And even if they wrote it in Mandarin, the translations were there and everyone got to be together in this. And this happened before the training, actually. We, and it was a, a series of training that we actually did over a, a month long period with this, with this pilot. And the engagement was really off the charts and the, the things that people shared, the stories that they told was transformational for the instructors as well. So they could use those conversations in the, the training that was coming as well. And the result of this was this organization writing an article that says, we now believe that inclusion is a skill. It's something that we can teach. It's something that, that people can learn and grow in. And they then committed to roll, rolling this type of program out to everyone in their organization. And that's ballsy, so to speak, for an organization with 100,000 plus employees. And so we're very proud to Love be that. a part of, of that. 
So a uh, favorite part of the demo. So I'm, yeah. I'm asking, I'm asking you your favorite child, but let's uh, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think for me, and this is kind of funny. Every time we do a demo for a company, I share my why, why it is that mm. we do what we do. And I, and I just started by saying that statistically speaking, I know I shouldn't be here. And I'm an African-American who, whose parents divorced. My mom, highly educated, got her bachelor's in business, working on MBA um, before she developed a substance abuse addiction that landed us in public housing. Uh, my dad passed away. We're on welfare, food stamps, the whole bit. And I've got four, uh, three brothers and one sister. And in our neighborhood, we were eight times more likely to go to prison than mm-hmm. to go to college. Mm-hmm. And yet everyone in my household went to college. Not everyone graduated, but everyone went. And when I think about learning, and I share this as part of our demo, I share my why. I believe that learning is the only thing that can take someone from where they are today and help them get to where they want to be tomorrow. Agreed. That's been my story. Going to the Alabama School of Math and Science and, and really uh, getting into IT early, education has been so critical. And so I've dedicated training.com to empowering growth and shaping the future of learning through innovative training solutions. And I show a picture of my son holding a picture of all our brothers and sisters as a reminder. And I actually share that in all our demos. Oh, I mean, first of all, that's just, I mean, it's great. <clears throat> and the whys are so important. You know, we skip through that. We get to features, benefits, and attributes of the product and, and, the, and the, the, the wow of a demo and some of the sexiness of the UI. Uh, but I think the emotional part of, you know, human to human contact of just saying, hey, this is why I'm here. This is, you know, uh, yes, I'd love for you to buy. I mean, check, stated and covered. However, I want you to know why this is important to me. Whether or not you buy or not, that's cool. This is the why. I love that. First of all, I, think I wish more more uh, leaders did that because there is a why. I mean, every entrepreneur that starts something, you know, there is a why. It might not be that particular why, but there there is a why. Um, questions you love hearing from practitioners, buying questions. Because uh, again, the show is trying to unpack and, and really help practitioners get better at, at asking great questions and, and better at buying software uh, in particular. Um, so what are questions that you, you just love that you're like, okay, they, you know, they get it. They, 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 they know where they want to go. They understand they're asking great kind of questions. What's something that you just love hearing from a practitioner? I think it's so critical for practitioners to think about how they would apply what they're buying to their problems and the things that they're trying to solve. I get so frustrated when we get invited to an RFP. It's almost <laughs> like this fixed process of checklist that has no room for innovation. Right. Have you, and, and when, in what I also encourage is that get your purchasing people and the business people together at some level so that both sides understand a little bit of what they're asking for. Because a lot of times, you know, purchasing wants to lead the, lead the way, but they really aren't necessarily connected to the business or the business really wants something and they're not nuanced in all, all of the, the purchasing processes. But if we get people thinking about how this can impact our business and the outcomes that we want, irrespective of the technology and not just solving the checklist, you start having better conversations and that can lead to better results. And I think eliminate some of the 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 purchases that happen that don't fit the bill. Right. Um, 
And so you, you want to not, every vendor who's trying to, so our, our company isn't very salesy, right. so to speak. We're so focused on solution and implementation that we're going to ask our clients and potential clients tough questions about fit and right. impact and results. Because if we don't have the measure of success, we don't even know how to propose something to you because we want to propose something that works. And at trainup.com, when people are looking for training, we ask them, where are you going? Where do you see, how will you know it's been successful? And when they can come to us and tell us what their success metrics are, and they can ask us, how will you help us meet these success uh, metrics? Then, oh. you know, then you know that they <clears throat> their house is in order. So, uh, and, and, and again, RFPs, mm, uh, I, if I could wave a wand and just get rid of all RFPs, I, I would, I would, I would do it in a minute because I, I think they're just horrible. I mean, I know why they're there. I get why procurement likes them to see column by column, et cetera, but it just, it squeezes out all innovation and, uh, a, a lot of, a, a lot of great things just get lost in an RFP, get lost in Excel. So Jeremy, thank you so much for carving out time for us and carving out time for the audience. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thanks for having me on. And just can't thank you enough for what you're doing in this space to try to, you know, inform and uh, let people know about what's happening out there. And so train to common knowledge flow. We're uh, excited to, to be on here. So thanks again. Thanks, Jeremy. And thanks for everyone listening to the, the uh, use case podcast until next time. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com.